Welcome to Faithful Film Fanatic. Well, I have uh, Derek on today. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So what was your first impression of the movie Castaway? Oh, man. Well, I saw this movie when I was pretty, pretty young. Um, you know, when it came out, I was like 10 and I saw it like right around that time. But I remember really loving this movie as a kid. Like it was, you know, very emotional and moving. Um, you know, just I didn't, you know, get all the subtlety of it, you know, um, at that age. But it definitely made an impact with me where I've gone and back and revisited it every couple of years for sure. Do you uh, feel like the movie at the beginning taking the place around Christmas is kind of random or do you feel like that adds to the theme of the movie? You know, that's interesting. Yeah, because I forgot that this was like, oh, this is a Christmas movie at the start. And, you know, a lot of the time when, you know, movies have that Christmas theme, it, it is kind of touching on like family and stuff like that. Uh, I... I think it adds a little bit. Um, it's I wouldn't say it's completely random. Um, it's not like Catch Me If You Can or something like that, <laughs> where it's like, oh, like this, you know, kind of recurring theme of Christmas is all family, but it does kind of, you know, the Christmas is kind of like the end of the year, you know, thing things are kind of like ending and winding down, and you're, you know, you're supposed to be with the people you love, and instead of being with the person that he loves and cares about most, he makes this decision to leave and he gets on that plane and that ends up changing his whole life. So I think that thematically that does play in, you know, and then when the film kicks off like four years later, it's in January. So it's kind of like, this is the start, even though it's four years later, it is, you know, the kind of metaphorical start of the new year. He's left this kind of old life behind. He's starting the new things in this new year. Yeah. I, uh, I had never seen the castaway up until I had watched it. And I honestly was surprised because I thought it was going to be more about him surviving on the Island instead of it being more about relationships. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, definitely. You know, like I rewatching, I was like, wow, there is a lot of this that takes place off the island. Like essentially it's just the second act that's on the island there. Um, right. But there is a whole huge chunk at the beginning. And then at least the last 30 minutes or so when he gets back to the world. Um, so, you know, it's you kind of go into this expecting maybe something like Survivor or, you know, season one of Lost. But it's much more. I mean, I guess Lost is really about relationships, too, but. Um, yeah. You know, it is much more just kind of like about, you know, the pe like he his drive to get off the island, not for himself, to, but to get back to, you know, the person that he loves. And then, you know, that he should have never left. He should have never gone on that plane, like he says. And then when he gets back and that's gone, it's just, you know, the whole thing, it just comes back with the whole like all the stuff he talks about at the beginning of time. And he missed all that time and he missed out on so much. And she went on and had this life and. He lost her and it just makes it that much more heartbreaking and just so much more of a poignant film. Right. And one thing I thought was really interesting was how the uh, volleyball Wilson that he becomes friends with in a way that ball is a, is a friend to him the exact same way he's been a friend to other people in a sense of not really that good of a friend. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, Wilson is really interesting um, because I think, you know, yeah, he, I guess Wilson, you know, isn't that great at communicating with him and stuff. Like, he, <laughs> he was never great at communicating with other people. Uh, you know, it kind of just becomes, you know, a mirror for him, whatever he wants to see. But I think that it's it's really a smart way to dole some exposition, exposition to the audience about his plans and stuff and just kind of like, well, we can do that, Wilson, but then we'll have to do this. And he kind of like yells at him and they get in fights and stuff and um, but I think it, it says a lot to the talent of, especially Tom Hanks as an actor, of Alan Silvestri's really powerful score and just kind of, you know, the amazing direction of Bob Zemeckis um, in this movie that you really care about Wilson, even though he's just this little volleyball that has, you know, it's just an inanimate object. But when he's floating away and like Tom Hanks is just like, I'm sorry, Wilson, like that's an emotional scene. And it's ridiculous. Like if you like describe that to someone, they're like, what? The volleyball floats away. And you're like, no, but like, and it's got that, that score that just, that comes in and it's so sad and you have to watch him just slowly drift away. The cinematography is so good. Um, So yeah, it's, it's really impressive that they made that's like basically a character like to this day people still love wilson like i remember for years they would on the little antennas people would have like a wilson little volleyball on their cars and stuff like that back when people had antennas on their cars um so yeah he's he's like iconic i uh i thought it was really cool and unique how uh, the writer was able to write out all of act two on the island with not using very many words, just actions, but it was not boring. Yeah. You are really interested in, you know, that the first, before he gets Wilson and starts having anybody to talk to, and it's just kind of, you know, there by himself. And you, you know, I was like thinking about like, what did the script say? Just, is it just like, just lines of like descriptions, like he goes and does this and stuff. But, you know, there are some really powerful moments in that. Like when he, goes and he finds um the body of his friend who is on the plane and he kind of like buries him it's just like that is just so like he is alone now like he there is no one else here the only other like human being that he that showed up on this thing was already dead and he just kind of like buries him and just like he kind of has to bury his old life right and it does a lot of reflection on him as a person because he didn't even have the guy that worked for his name, right? He didn't even remember the guy's name. Who you that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he looks at. It, he's like, oh yeah, Al is Alan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Another thing I, I didn't pick up on until I started doing some research on the movie is Tom Hanks's character Chuck Nolan. His character means to throw away. Okay, interesting. The reason Castaway, the title, has two words instead of one is because it's more about, like you said, the relationships and less to do with the actual shipwreck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, you know, just like how Lost is like a, a double thing. It's like these people are lost on an island, but they're also lost in their lives. You know, it's the same kind of thing. Castaway, he's you know, kind of like... He's a castaway, literally, but you like you said, it's two words. He's been it's kind of like cast away, you know. Yeah, so because um, he he loses the things that matter in life, it just becomes all about the clock and about you know his his business and FedEx and 
you know, it's, it's it, even when he comes back, you know, he gets received back, like coming back to life by FedEx, like his corporation, like gives a whole speech instead of, you know, like any family members, you know, or anything there. The only person who, who sees him when he comes there is his, his ex's husband, you know? So it's just, he's just so alone, you know, I guess he has that, he has that one guy, um, his friend, I forget, I remember the character's name, but um, yeah, uh, Nick Searchy plays him. Um, but yeah. And it's almost interesting. It's like when he comes back home, he misses the island. Because yeah, yeah, you know the whole reason he's home doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, there's that shot where he kind of like first is leaving the island and he looks back and it just kind of like fades in the fog and it's like, you know, he's like he's happy that like this is what he's been trying to do for, but like like he's trying to go for it for so long, but you know. You know he's 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 spent so many years there, and it's become his life. And to just kind of like, ne- he's like, well, you know, I can I can never go back now. And you know, the life that I came back to isn't the one that I was expecting, or the one that I had left behind. I know a lot of people aren't really crazy about the way the film ends. What were your thoughts on the ending of the movie? I I liked the ending of the movie. Um, I liked that. I mean, it is a little bit on the nose that he ends the film at a literal crossroads. It's like, but you know what? Like sometimes, sometimes you just gotta be, you know, very direct with your metaphors. Um, <laughs> so I, 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 I like the ending of the film. I like that. You know, I like. I'm a sucker for kind of you know bittersweet endings. Those are my favorite kind of endings. If he had died trying to get off the island, that would have been too sad for me. If he would have gotten back together with his um you know wife or girlfriend um then that would have been too ni- neat and tidy i think life is often very bittersweet and that i like when movies are that as well i like that he just kind of it's like all right this is where we're going to leave this character you're not sure where he's going to go next he's standing here at the crossroads you can go this way you can go that way um i love that he delivers that package that he held onto the whole time and writes that little note this package saved my life maybe he'll go and like talk to that ranch lady and have some nice romance or something, or maybe he won't, you know, we don't know um, because life kind of just goes on. And that's kind of the point of the ending. And I never really thought about it watching the movie, but I was watching this YouTube guy talking about how they're in the whole movie. That package represents hope. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, especially like with the kind of angel wings and everything on it, you know, it's just, it's just like, you know what I, he's like, he, he's like, I won't open this because you know, He's he's got he's like I still can do this one thing I can still hold on to this you know hope and never give up and then you know when especially when he paints that same symbol on you know the uh, the sale that he gets you know they kind of like personify that's the kind of like the the you know hope kind of um, comes in and he he gives him a way out you know he says the wind gave me a sail or whatever so yeah did you feel like this film overall felt realistic or not really i'd say yeah it seems like a pretty realistic film you know it's i was interested because i was like thinking like you probably couldn't make this movie like today like i feel like technology is probably advanced to the point where like i don't know that he could be lost um but (laughs) i felt like they give like a pretty realistic reason for like them not finding him. It's like, okay, they like, you know, they lost communication. They went off course. And he's like, that's twice the size of Texas. Like that little line of exposition is all you need to hear to be like, that's why they never found him. Um, you know, the search grid would never have, you know, covered that area. They wouldn't know to look there. Um, so I think 
He did a good job with that. Um, not that I think that realism is necessarily the most important thing in a movie, um, because I like a lot of movies that are that straight tend to stray away from that. Um, right. But I think this one did a good job of kind of like making you feel like you were in the real world. And I felt like overall the uh, writing and the characters were done pretty well. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, really, really uh, well written film. Like I said, it you know that's how it was able to sell you on you know a caring about a volleyball so much. Um, Tom Hanks got nominated for the Oscar for this film. Um, I think as good as Russell Crowe was in Gladiator, I think Tom Hanks probably deserved to win in this. He just really, really just had a great character with a great character arc. You know, you don't see a lot of the other characters too much in this film, um, but I think that, you know, they are, they do feel like real established people for sure too. And uh, towards the ending of the film, did you ever think, like have a moment where you thought him and his wife were going to get back together. I mean, definitely, you know, that's what it seems like. It's, you know, pushing you kind of towards for a second. It's, that's how movies go. You're going to like get off the island. You know, that's, you know, Odysseus gets back to Penelope, you know, like people, you know, you have these great love and you have to overcome this trial to get back to him, you know, and then it doesn't happen. You know, it kind of it plays on those expectations of this happy ending. And then even they even have that like, moment in the rain where they're kissing but you know that so you, you kind of know that you know this can't really work um that you know she has a family and uh you know they he she has a kid and stuff like that and she can't just give up everything you know to just go back and you know have that part of her life back because that time has passed would you recommend this movie for people to watch today oh yeah i would absolutely watch this film um i think it's one of Zemeckis's best um, other than the back to the future trilogy. I think it's, it's probably my favorite um, Robert Zemeckis film. Uh, just great acting, great scripts, cinematography, just, yeah, a really incredible film that I think, you know, I'd say probably like four and a half stars out of five on my letterbox, I think is what I rated it. Uh, really good film. And did you feel like the film was made with passion and love heart? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like you can tell, that this there was some time and effort that went in this movie, especially since, you know, they took that whole year break. They did, you know, which is something, you know, you don't really see in movies. They don't, like, often, you know, go on hiatus for a year so that, you know, Tom Hanks could, he lost 50 pounds, he grew that beard and everything so that he could make this complete physical transformation that you would see uh, in the movie. Um, so there was definitely, you know, they didn't do this the quick or easy way. They did this the right way for sure. All right. Um, and then you were wanting to talk about the um, uh, movies and uh, my uh, theme for my uh, podcast. Yeah. So I know that your theme kind of for season two here is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like that a lot of films that got today, even your season two trailer, you said that, you know, they, they don't really stack up to the films of the past that they are just kind of made to just kind of make money rather than with any passion. And they are kind of like often very political and stuff like that, um, which is true. Um, I, I agree with that. But I also think that the films of the past are the same. Um, I think that if you're saying that, and I respectfully, so I respectfully kind of disagree with that um, because I think that movies have always kind of been that. 
Um, the thing is, though, like if you look at the year 2000, for example, you know, the we were talking about came out that year, you know, 21 years ago now, like we can look at it and be like, oh, yeah, Gladiator came out that year. Castaway came out that year, whatever movie came out that year. But we don't remember like the bad movies that came out in the year 2000. And that's just relatively recently, you know, that's, you know, pretty fresh back even further. You know, go back to like the year like 1939, considered one of the greatest years in the history of cinema. Um, we remember the Gone with the Winds and the Wizard of Oz and all that stuff. But there were some horrible movies that came out in that era that just nobody remembers. That probably the film, like the original stock, doesn't exist anymore because they're bad. So why would the good ones get remembered? Whereas the movies that are coming out now, we just see everything. So I just watched Red Notice on Netflix yesterday. I'm like, nobody's going to remember this movie in a year. But, you know, it's fresh in my mind now. So I'm like, okay, you know. And I do think 2021 has been kind of a weaker year for movies overall um, because of the pandemic and everything because they weren't really able to shoot a lot of stuff last year and just kind of pushing a lot of stuff out. Um, but, like, even stuff like, you know, there was the Hayes Code back in like the 30s and 40s that like was itself very political um, uh, because it was just, you know, you can't show certain things in films and it restricted filmmakers so much that they couldn't do a lot of things they wanted to do. Whereas um, film, you know, starting in the 70s has kind of like become a lot more free for filmmakers. Um, you know, even stuff like High Noon, which came out in 1955, is an incredibly political film and it's considered widely one of the best movies ever made um it was one of the first films selected by the library of congress to be preserved it's in the afi top 100 but it's very very cool uh, presidents have like shown it at private showings so they love it so much because it's very political um it caused john wayne um uh, to make real brave in reaction because he was wanted to make a movie with the opposite politics um so i think that you know there is maybe a little bit of a recency bias when it comes to talking about movies like, you know, not stacking up to the past. I don't know. What do you think about well, it? Well, I guess like what you say, like there's always been politics, but like don't you feel like there's more politics now than there were in older movies? And I don't like, think so. Now, then like nowadays people don't come up with original no ideas as much everything is copied from something else and anytime something's successful they have to make a sequel to it it feels like yeah i i do agree with that but i think that's kind of always well not always been the case i would say that's been the case since probably i don't know the, the 70s si the 70s the 60s you know when you have like they made all those planet of the apes movies in a row in the 60s and then bleeding over the 70s um, but even earlier than that, you know, when they made the Wizard of Oz once again, that was like the fifth or sixth time they'd made a Wizard of Oz movie. So that's, you know, considered one of the great classic original films. But it's really, you know, like they had already made a bunch of movies like that. Um, I mean, I will give you this that I think that when it comes to big blockbuster landmark films, um, that is very much becoming like, like, you know, the franchise is the safe bet. And I think that we are starting to lose a little bit more of what dominated in the seventies and eighties 
um, and even a little bit into the 90s, which is the kind of director-dominated film rather than a franchise-dominated film. And I do still that think that still exists. Like, you just got something like, you know, Dune, which is obviously it's based on an IP. It's based on, and they made a previous Dune movie, which wasn't successful, um, really. Uh, but, you know, the Dune books aren't, like, huge like the Marvel movies are. And then we just had a huge movie. Um, so you get that. You get something like, unfortunately, it was a failure, but um, The Last Duel by Ridley Scott. Um, but those are becoming more rare. I do agree with you there that we are getting less of these kind of director-driven, you know, it's becoming more difficult for someone like Robert Zemeckis or Martin Scorsese to kind of make their big budget movie um, because it is kind of becoming more dominated by franchises. But there are other avenues that are starting to open up for that. Stuff like Netflix, like how a lot you're seeing a lot of kind of prestige, quote-unquote, directors make their films on Netflix now, like Scorsese with The Irishman, or Noah Baumbach with uh, Marriage Story. Um, there's a bunch more that I could name, obviously. Um, and what's really disappearing, and this is what I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on, and it's very concerning to me, is we're seeing the disappearance of the mid-budget movie. We're seeing, like, block... Like, there's still big blockbusters that are franchise-driven and still, in some cases, director-driven. And we're seeing, like, the smaller-budget, very creative films made by studios like A24 and Focus Features. But we're losing those films that are made for in that, you know, you get movies that are made for over $100 million. And you get movies that are made for like under 30. But we're losing that kind of like, you know, $50 million movie, that mid-budget movie, those rom-coms that were a staple of the, the 90s and the early 2000s. Those are kind of disappearing. Maybe they're moving a little bit to Netflix. But I am, that is what I would be concerned about. And what I would really agree with you is that those kind of mid-budget movies are disappearing. And now we're just getting the two ends of the spectrum big budget like movies that are going to be blockbusters and the small little passion pieces that you get from the A24s and so on. Do you feel like older movies, they cared a lot more about their craft and put more heart into it than they do nowadays for the most part? No, I don't really think so because I think that there are still so many talented directors out there and talented writers and everyone else who are putting passion in their stuff, you know, um, you know, we talked about how like, you know, this movie was, was passion and they took a year off to do it, but you know, even something think about boyhood, which is a relatively recent movie. And I don't really like that film, but I have to respect the passion that went into it, that they took, what was it like 70 shot over 13 years, 15 years. I don't remember what it is, but they shot it over a long time. And that movie came out, um, just not too long ago. I forget what year exactly. So that's a recent film that they obviously put a great deal of passion into. Um, so I think there are definitely people out there. There's definitely, like, I don't think there was any passion put into Red Notice, for example. That was just a formulaic stock plate movie. But you had those in the past. You had something like a movie which is still relatively popular now, something like Robin and the Seven Hoods. Is, a, is like, I'm sorry to anybody who likes that movie, but that movie is from the 50s. It's just boring. And I feel like a lot of those movies were just kind of the Rat Pack getting together and making a quick buck. You know, there wasn't any passion in that. So I think it just, it's not necessarily about a certain time. It's just kind of like, which filmmakers are you looking at from any certain time? You look at now like a film made by Taika Waititi, that's going to have so much more passion than a film made by, you know, whoever. Um, just, you know, somebody who you don't even care about. And I think that, even even a movie like even somebody like Michael Bay, like he deserves a lot of criticism for a lot of things, you know. But I think he's very very passionate about films, and I think that 
there's a perception that him and a lot of his ilk aren't passionate, but he's just a guy who loves movies. He loves explosions and all the dumb stuff that he puts in his movies. And you know what? More power to him. Um, he's out there doing his thing and making the best movie that he can. I just saw the French Dispatch. You know, that's a film by Wes Anderson, the Wes Anderson film. There's clearly so much passion in that movie. Like every inch of that movie is just dripping with Wes Anderson being like, here it is. Um, I just think that sometimes those movies do get diluted by the films that feel like they don't have a lot of passion in them. Um, but even, you know, the big blockbusters like Eternals, you know, the new Marvel movie made, I think Chloe Zhao put a lot of passion in that movie. Um, there's some things about it that I'm like, it didn't jive with me necessarily, but I did like it overall. And I did appreciate that she was trying to do something, you know, different and um, kind of work within that Marvel formula, but still have her, the clear passion that she had for it came through. All right. So do you feel like maybe the uh, movies that aren't, you hear more about the movies that aren't that great than the ones where they are passionate about, and that's why it might feel like there's less and less movies with passion in it? Um. I think that you remember the ones from the past with passion. And I think that in the moment, you know, you might not, you know, there's all these films around that don't have passion, but those tend to kind of over the years will kind of die away. Um, so I think that is, you know, when we look back at 2021 and 2051, the, all these movies that were really, you know, there were people were talking about um, that didn't have passion. I think people won't really remember. And I think that people will remember the films from this year that were made with passion. Um, and I think that's like, if you tr we chime trouble back to, you know, the fifties or something, a lot of the more popular films are not necessarily the ones that were made with passion. Also, there's just like a lot more movies right now too. Um, so I think maybe that dilutes it a little bit too, because there's just so many more movies that come out nowadays. Just um, then there were part of that is just because the studio system is just got, it's like cranking out so much more stuff, but also because film has just become so globalized that now everywhere in the world can make movies. Um, and, you know, you're seeing all these great you know, films from coming over from every corner of the globe. Um, so there is just so much more noise when it comes to movies. There's just so much more out there that you can lose a little bit of what the great ones. I guess I could see that because they are constantly making more movies and there's always new streaming services they keep throwing out there and they got to make movies to compete. Yeah. And, you know, you do get stuff like, you know, it becomes kind of a machine. Sometimes you've got to, you know, put out like the Kissing Booth 3, which is clearly a movie that, you know, I don't think anybody was really passionate about that. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there there's definitely going to be a lot of that, but who's going to rem remember the Kissing Booth 3 in the year 2030, you know? Yeah. But I think we will remember movies like Last Night in Soho, you know? Um, that's, a, that's a great movie that was made with a lot of passion by a really good director. 
I'm, I'm really glad you, you know, chose Castaway for me to come on and talk about because it's kind of one of those movies that, you know, it's, it's a good movie, but it's not like always at the front of your mind. Like, oh yeah, I'm not going to just go sit down and watch Castaway. I think I hadn't really watched this movie in probably about five years. And before that, I'd maybe, and I watched it in five years, but it's, it's a good one to go back to and revisit and just kind of remind yourself like, yeah, Castaway, like Tom Hanks, man, like that kills right. it. Robert Zemeckis, yeah. And Tom Hanks is a really good actor, and especially the way he portrays in that second act of that movie. Oh yeah, for sure, man. But yeah, thank you, thank you for having me on. You know, I I've been uh, had had a fun coming on talking about it. Um, you know, um, just want to mention for anybody who's listening, uh, I have my own podcast too. Uh, it's called Underrated, where we talk about movies that are. Kind of so maybe some movies that from you know the past and present that are forgotten that are made with passion. Um, so I like to kind of like talk about underrated and under the radar flicks over on uh, my podcast. I have to interrupt this episode to tell you something I've been dying to share with you. Have you heard of the company Habits Three Six Five? You haven't. <laughs> Do you live in the cave? <laughs> I support Habits Three Six Five because you get great quality clothes and by you giving money to them you're helping spread positivity every day of every year what's better than that i'll tell you what's better than that if you buy something from them and you by clicking on the link below going to their website use promo code faithful film fanatic in all caps and i'll save you some money too so really it's a win-win what are you waiting for? Let's get back to the episode.